you can hear me, and you haven't heard Ted already, you should usher your way to Sunday school. I don't know how you can not hear Ted, though, because, you know, it's Ted. It's very easy to... COVID ICU. Yep.
learn about sojourners here. Or one is and before we do that we hear that Ishbosheth hears of Abner's death and he uh, loses heart. This is literally in the Hebrew his hand sunk down. Uh, the idea is that his hand became limp or weak. Um, and so he again, why would this be true? For him, yeah, Abner was really the power in Israel at this point. Ishbosheth was weakened as a king. Abner was kind of controlling everything, and now Abner's dead. So Ishbosheth has very little power in and of himself as the king, and Abner's gone. So he has very little power, um, and his his power is eroding away, and there's not much left for him. Um, and Israel's troubled because they know what the situation is too, that uh, Ishbosheth is more of a figurehead type king at this point, and they're concerned about the state of their nation probably. Uh, so they're troubled by this news that Abner's dead, uh, knowing that Abner's been leading the army and kind of uh, running things. Uh, and so they're troubled also. Uh, so in verse 2, we get introduced to these two captains, uh, Ba'ana and Rechab, and they're brothers. They're sons of Ryman the Birothite. Um, Beeroth was part of Benjamin, and, and I think he, uh, the author of uh, Samuel here brings this up because he's pointing out when we get to these guys later that they were of Saul's tribe. Uh, again, Saul, Saul's main captains, Abner was his cousin probably, uh, these guys were also of the tribe of, of Benjamin, which is Saul's tribe. So he's promoted people that were close to him or, you know, relations or within his tribe and stuff like that. But these guys, when we see what they do, we're going to see that they, were, they weren't, you know, foreigners. They weren't from some rival tribe. These guys were part of Ishbosheth's tribe. And so this is how bad states have, have gone here. Now, Beeroth, um, nobody really knows quite where Beeroth is. It's, I've read commentaries, and it's not really mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but it's, it's somewhere in Benjamin. But nobody really knows where exactly it is, so I can't really give you a place on the map. But Benjamin's not really a large area, so it's somewhere in there. Okay. So those are Saul's two captains that we are introduced to here. And they're going to come in the story very soon. And we'll see what happens with them. Uh, so, who read that? Josiah, here you go. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Who would like to read next? Abigail? Jonathan's lame son. You know, the, the sense that we use it now is lame that he couldn't walk. Um, and introducing him now because he comes in later, and this was just a good point to introduce him. But he, so he was lame in the feet. He couldn't walk. And the reason it was is when he was five, uh, he was five when Saul and Jonathan died. 
Um, and his nurse took him, and they, they were fleeing. And they were fleeing because when Saul and Jonathan died, the Philistine army was conquering Israel, and they were probably scared for their lives. Uh, and remember, Jonathan's dad, his, two of his three brothers also died. You know, so there was cause for concern. So she's getting him out of there and trying to flee for safety. And as she's fleeing, he falls and ends up probably breaking his legs and not having the, you know, the uh, Gilgal Medical Center nearby. It wasn't taken care of very well, and, and his legs ended up not healing correctly. Um, so he fell and became lame, and his name is Mephibosheth. So there, again, if you're pregnant and you want a boy's name, there's another great name for you. Uh, yeah, lots. That one I would actually name my kid. That one you would? Yeah, Okay, there you go. There you go. So that happens. Now, what age is he right now, by the way? He was five when Saul and Jonathan died, so he would be 12 about 12 or 13, somewhere in there, yep. So he's a teenager right now. So we'll get to him a little bit later, but the, the, he's about 12 12-ish, maybe 13 right now. So we're introduced to that, and this is kind of a parenthetical note in the passage, uh, bringing up, and again, probably because of what's going to happen, just to let you know who's left of Saul's family. Because there's Ishbosheth and there's Mephibosheth. These are about the two guys that are left of Saul's family. And remember, part of the curse from God is that Saul's family is basically going to be wiped out. You know, there's going to be no one left. And it's getting pretty close to that right now. Second uh, Samuel verses, chapter four, verses five through seven. Joanna, sorry, your sister beat you, Lemuel. Your hand went up fast, but hers was up way before yours. So here we see Ishbosheth is murdered. So Rechab and Benah came to Ishbosheth, and they came about the heat of the day. Um, and this is uh, this is something that's probably pretty normal. It's middle of the day hot time of the day, and he was probably lying down to rest because that's a good thing to do in the hot time of day. If you go to some places, like we had a friend from Panama, and in Panama, they shut things down about noon to about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and everybody goes and relaxes about that time because it's too hot to do anything, too hot and humid. So they, they, they take a little siesta in the afternoon. We don't do that in the United States. That's prime time for doing stuff. Everybody's out about and working. If you go someplace that's super hot, it's like it's too warm to do anything. Let's just rest until it cools off a little bit. So that, that's probably what he was doing here. It's too hot to be doing anything. So he was lying on his bed about, about the noontime or, or early afternoon here, uh, probably because it was too warm to be going about doing anything. Uh, so the, these two brothers, they were going around acting like they were getting wheat. Now the reason why they might have been acting like they were getting wheat is they, they were the captains of the army. With Abner dead, they may have been the two guys that were had the most seniority in the army, and they may have been acting like they were getting wheat for the soldiers so they would have something to eat. Um, this may have been part of uh, paying the soldiers that they, 
were going to the king and getting food for the soldiers and saying, here's wheat for your food. And so that may have been why they were in the palace doing this, and that may have been what they were acting like, oh, we have to get wheat for the soldiers. And so the king might have been like, okay, fine, do whatever, I'm lying down. Um, so while they were pretending to do that, they stabbed him in the stomach. Uh-oh. Then they beheaded him. Now, why would they behead him? The yeah, there's the trophy or the proof that he's dead. You know, if you can bring the guy's head, he's obviously not alive anymore. Uh, then they escaped and they traveled all night, uh, probably because they didn't want to get caught by anybody because they know they were doing wrong. And so there's the scene. They, they kill him in the middle of the day, behead him, and take off and escape. Well, where do they escape to? David. Yep, they're going to go to David. Let's find out. Verses 8 through 12. Uh, Miriam, go ahead. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David, David at Hebron and said to the king, Here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has offended my lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Balaam, his brother, the son of Roman, Roman the Baroshet, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed at Dilglag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more the wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed. Therefore shall I not now require his blood at your hands and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Exactly how I wanted to word this at first, but I think this is uh, Ishbosheth's murderers. So Rechab and Benah come to David, and they uh, present the head of Ishbosheth again. To show David that what they're saying is true, unlike the guy who came reporting Saul in proof and just came with his story, they actually have proof. You know, here's his head. Um, they call him son of Saul, enemy. And if you look in the story here, the Saul son, your enemy, who saw your life. Um, and they said, the Lord has avenged the Lord. My Lord, the King, this day of Saul and his descendants. And so they, they kind of say, you know, this is for vengeance on Saul and his descendants, as if, as if Ishbosheth had something to do with what Saul had done. Right? So they're kind of placing Saul's guilt for what Saul had done to David on Saul's. So, so they're, they're making Ishbosheth David's enemy because of Saul's actions. We'll see that David probably doesn't have the same idea about that. And then they have, the Lord has avenged you. Now, let me really, really, we're followers of the Lord. The Lord had avenged David here. No, I think So, that the Lord is David. Sound 
power Heroes' eyes. Like, we'll kind of throw the smoke for David's eyes. Well, he'll see us in a fight. David, um, David answers them. And, and notice what the first thing that David says as the Lord lives, and how does he describe the Lord? The Lord who has redeemed my life from all adversity. So even if was his enemy, if Chef was doing bad Not the issue. He's made clear that you guys be life. He twice in a position could have killed him and, and taken his place to kill him. God wants to take Saul to do that. He's the Lord's anointed. I, I'm not going to do and, and David trusted God those times and he, he's letting these guys know that he's trusting the Lord in this. Tells the story. Uh, uh, remember in chapter one, the the guy, the Amalekite guy, who came and said, "I, I killed Saul for you. Reward me." And David, how he describes it when someone
So uh, very, very, very strong actions on David's part to say this is wrong, this is not right what you did, and I'm going to show everybody that I do not approve of what you did. And then he took the head of Ishbosheth and he buried it with Abner in, in Abner's tomb. And that's, I, I think, a, a sign of respect. Because remember, Abner, he, he had great respect for when Abner was killed. Uh, remember, he mourned for Abner, and he, he, he made everybody mourn, including Joab, who killed him. He made uh, Joab go into mourning for Abner. Um, and so, so he's showing Ishbosheth respect by uh, burying Ishbosheth's head, at least, with Abner in Abner's tomb. Uh, so that's how David deals with Ishbosheth's murderers. So these guys thought, hey, we're going to get rewarded, yay. No, nope, they're not going to get rewarded. Not at all. And David does exactly the opposite of that. So that's chapter 4. Nice, nice, gruesome chapter. Murder, executions, all kinds of fun stuff. Let's go to a cheerier chapter. Let's go to chapter 5, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. Lemuel, finally you beat everybody's hand up, so go ahead and read. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. The Lord said to you, Shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. So, number four, made king over all Israel. So, all the tribes come to David. Uh, if you notice here, there's a number of times that the word all is used all Israel, all Israel over and over again here. All the tribes of Israel come to David. Um, and they, they give you this phrase, we are your bone and your flesh. And, and they're basically saying, we belong to you, David. And you belong to us. We're, we're one. We're joined together. Um, so they, they've kind of changed their tune over the seven and a half years that David was king in Hebron and the two years that Ishbosheth's been their king, that they uh, want to belong with David now. Um, and then they, they give the speech here, when Saul was king, you were the one that was leading us. <laughs> You're the one that was fighting all the battles for us. You're the one that was winning the battles. We see that now. You were the guy that God was using to protect us. Um, and that the third thing, that God has pronounced that you would be king. We realize that now. God has uh, commanded that you would be king, and we're, we're, we're acknowledging that. So we want you to be king. And then as I was reading through this, the first time I read through this, I read this wrong. I thought, the, I, thought I read that Israel made a covenant with David. But it says in here, David made a covenant with Israel. Um, he made a, a promise with them. He made an agreement with Israel. And it, it, it struck me kind of funny that the king is the one who's saying, I'm going to do this for you. And he's making promises and he's making agreements with them that he's going to rule in a certain way. And that's, that's an interesting thing that David would do, that he takes his kingship very seriously, that he wants to do what's right. And he wants to serve the people, I think. 
I, I think that's very true of David, that, that he doesn't see it as he's the king, you guys are just going to serve me, and you're gonna, I'm going to rule over you, and I'm gonna, you're going to be my footstool. But I think he sees it as he's there to serve the people. Now, at times that he, he forgets that, obviously, but uh, for the most part, I think that's the kind of the king that David wants to be. Um, so the elders anoint David king. Now, this is the third time he was anointed. Um, so what were the other two times he was anointed king? Samuel anointed him the first time when he was 13, and it took uh, many, many years before he even became king after that. But Samuel anointed him after he, the God rejected Saul, and Saul still reigned for about 20 years after that. So that was the first time. Second time he was anointed king. Judah? Yeah, he was anointed king over Judah. When he became king of Judah, Judah anointed him king. So this is actually the third time he was anointed king. So he gets three anointings as king, uh, this time over all of Israel. And so David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. And for the seven and a half years, it was just in Hebron over Judah. And then for another 33 years, approximately, he was king in Jerusalem over all of Israel. So he reigned until he was about 70 years old. So not, not a bad life. He reigned for 40 years. Uh, when we get to second, or first and second kings, we're going to see kings that, you know, they began to reign when they were in their 20s, and they reigned for two years, and then they were killed. Um, that's not as good a life, I think, as someone who's able to reign when they're still reigning when they're 30 and then reign for 40 years. So, so David, David had a good time as king here. I mean, a good long time where God was able to use him as king. Now, there's a portion of his life, too, where he had to run from his son who uh, usurped the throne from him. Um, and that's not counted in here because David was technically still the rightful king, even though he wasn't actually reigning in Jerusalem, but we'll get to that in a few chapters down the road, um, and we'll talk about that later. So that's verses 1 through 5, kind of a summary of David's kingship over, we could, we could close the book here and we'll be done, right? No, we got more to talk about. Okay, Second Samuel 5, 6 through 9, who wants to read? Gabriel, go ahead. So we hear, see here, David conquered Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? No, oh. sorry. There's potato chips down here. I just noticed that. I don't know. There's a there's a bag of potato chips down here. I just noticed it. Okay. Anyway, David conquers.
conquers. I even got that wrong, so it's not better. David conquers. I walk five feet, and I just forget totally what I'm writing. Twice. There's like a, I don't know, there's radioactivity or something right between here that is your mind. So David conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem is controlled by Jebusites. Now, where is Jerusalem? Right here. This is Israel. Jerusalem's in the middle of Israel, and there's a problem that Jerusalem's still not controlled by Israelites. There's Jebusites that are controlling Jerusalem. Now, why is this? Yeah, it's very easy to find. Jerusalem's a city that's up on a hill, and on three sides it has a deep valley around it. And so it's a very strong city to defend, and Israel has had a, a ton of trouble trying to get the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. In fact, the, Jerusalem is so well defended that the Jebusites are at this point taunting David. And they're saying, the blind and the lame are going to repel David. That's how confident they are. We don't even need our best troops. We're going to send the blind people and the lame people to defend our city, and David still will not be able to take the city. Yeah, that's how confident they are. And so, verse 7 is kind of a summary here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. And this, by the way, is the first time that Jerusalem is called Zion. That is the city of David. And here's kind of a summary of how it happened. David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, and David's going to kind of poke fun back at them, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. So he offers a, a reward to whoever can do this. You're going to be my chief and captain. Um, therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So they, they're, just, they're just having fun with this blind and lame thing a little bit here. Um, then David dwelt in the stronghold because he conquers the city of Jerusalem. And he called it the city of David. By the way, what other city do we call the city of David? Not Jerusalem... Bethlehem. So there's actually two cities that are called the city of David. Bethlehem's not much of a city, though. Bethlehem's a little hamlet compared to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a real city, but um, both of them get called the city of David at different times. Um, he called it the city of David, and David built all around it from the millow. The millow is one of the towers of the city. It's one of the stronger towers, and so he built around it and then inward from there. Um, so the people reading this would understand what the millow is. We look at that and go, what's, what's the millow? It's a, it's a large tower that's in the city, just so you're aware of what that is. And he built around this tower um, and was able to build up the city a little bit. But he finally conquers the Jebusites. And the Jebusites are actually there from Joshua's time. Uh, Joshua had trouble with them, too. He couldn't get them out of the city. So they've been there a very long time. And that's probably why one of the reasons why they were so confident that David couldn't do it either. Because Israelites have for 300 years been trying to get them out of Jerusalem and couldn't do it. So how is David going to do it? Well, David had his plan. We're going to go up through the, the waterway, and we'll, we'll get in there, and we'll get him out of there. And he finally does it. And David finally conquers Jerusalem. So David conquers Jerusalem, and he's going to make that his capital. And then for many, many years, Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel and later Judah when the kingdoms divide. And you notice where it is. It's like on the very north part of Judah, so it's, it's very close when the kingdoms divide to what would be Israel. Um, but it's kind of centrally located for the most part to the rest of Israel. So, anyway. Good conquest for David. Uh, verses 10 through 12. 
Gianna, go ahead. Tired. So David's greatness increased. And David continued on. He became great, and he realized that the Lord of God of hosts was with him. And this very interesting name here, the Lord, of course, uh, being the... Jehovah, yeah, Yahweh, Yehovah. northern area up here.
So David's additional, um, what is it, additional wives. wives and children, yeah. How many did we have after last? At least, right? Then he gets to Jerusalem and he takes more wives and children. Uh, more wives and concubines, I'm sorry, more wives and concubines, and he has more kids. Now, we talked about last week that this was not really God's intention. Um, as I was doing some more research, I realized that it's really not God's intention for the king. You look at Deuteronomy 17, I have that passage in there, I'll ask for somebody to read that. Who wants to read Deuteronomy 17 there? Go ahead, Brenna. So you see there in verse 17, I put that whole thing in there so you can see that this is directed directly towards the king, right? Verse 17, you shall not multiply wives for himself. And David is ignoring the direct command that's given in Deuteronomy 17, which goes directly toward the king that God is saying is supposed to be over the nation of Israel. So David is really not doing what's right here. Um, he and I, I think David knows at least enough of uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, that he would know this passage and know what the king's supposed to be doing. I think that David is not doing what's right here. So, as much as David does, that's good. Yes, he does a lot of good things, and even before you know, he, David understands that God is putting him king, so not to serve himself, but to serve others, and that's that's good of David. David still has his faults. He still has things where he's doing wrong, and I think he even knows that he's doing wrong, but he's ignoring it and doing what he wants to do here. So, so he, he's multiplying wives when he should not be. And more sons and daughters were born. Um, interesting, in this list, Nathan, that's the uh, son where Mary's lineage comes from. It's from Nathan, so... I just, I'm just saying, you, you look it up, that's, that's uh, Nathan is, is the one that, that Mary comes from. So, anyway, um, Solomon is where Joseph comes from. And Solomon, Solomon's on that list, too. So they're both, they're actually both in this list in Jerusalem. Okay, well, there we go. Um, I, I just forgot that Solomon was in that list, but there you go. Both, both, uh, both of the forefathers of Jesus' parents, I know Joseph isn't really the parent, but father, um, come from this list here in Jerusalem. So there you go. Uh, okay, Second Samuel five seventeen to twenty five. Nathan, well, you already read. The Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. All the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Said, the Lord has broken my 
place all and they left their image there and David and his men carried them away then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said you shall not go up circle around behind them and come upon them sound of marching on the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. And David did so, as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as... So David defeats the Philistines. So the Philistines come out to, up to attack Israel, and they did this when they heard that David was king. Why all of a sudden when, they, when they heard David was king? Yeah. What was happening before David was king? Well, there were two kings, and they were at odds with each other, and maybe there were skirmishes going on, and they were kind of thinking, well, let Israel fight among themselves, and we'll see what happens. Now there's one king. He's established. Now it's time to, to take him down quick before he gets more and more powerful. So they heard David is king, and they're coming after him. So they search for David. Now, David was in Hebron. He went and attacked Jerusalem. Maybe they're not sure exactly where he is now because he left Hebron, so maybe they're trying to figure out where he is. Um, David hears, and he goes after the Philistines. So David is not shying away from the fight at all. Um, David, of course, has had great success against the Philistines. In fact, in 1 Samuel, we don't read about any time when David actually lost to the Philistines. Uh, I don't know if that means he didn't lose to the Philistines, we just didn't read about it, but I I think God blessed him, so I don't know that David ever did lose to the Philistines. Um, And so I I think David's ready to go fight them. And so finally they figure out where they're at, and the Philistines deploy their army against Israel. And David, instead of just going right at them, he stops and takes time to talk to God. He inquires of the Lord, and he asks two questions. Shall I fight against them? So he takes his army all the way out there, and then he stops to ask God, well, shall I fight them? Okay. You already have your army there. Obviously, you're going to fight them, right? No. We're going to ask God to see if God wants us to fight them. And then if we fight them, will you deliver them into my hand? God's answer here is yes and yes. Go fight them, and yes, I'm going to deliver them. So David defeats the Philistines, and David immediately gives credit to God. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of water. And so they call the place Baal Perazim, which means the master of breakthrough. Israelites like to do that. Um, Interesting, uh, Baal, we think of it as the God, right? Baal? Uh, Baal is also a word that can mean master. It can also mean husband. Um, we had a, I had a friend who, who's, him and his wife were in our Hebrew class. And when she learned that Baal meant husband, she wanted to call her husband Baal, and he did not like that idea at all. So that didn't last very long. Anyway, um, so it can mean master also. It's not just the God. But... Um, the Philistines, they left their idols behind and Israel carried away. Well, what did they do when they carried them away? We have to go to First Chronicles to find out what they did when they carried them away. So one more passage here, verses 11 and 12. Who would like to read that? Go ahead. 
God has broken through my enemies by my hand, like a breakthrough of water. Therefore they called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were buried with and they were burned with fire. So they carried the gods away to make sure that they got them burned with fire. David wasn't gonna let them carry the idols back and take them home and you know, worship them. David wanted them burned. So David did the right thing with them. It just in Samuel they didn't tell us that. We have to go to First Chronicles to realize that David took care of the idols the right way and burned them. Anyway, so on. Um, the Philistines then, after losing this battle, they're not done. They still want to fight David. So they deploy themselves to fight again, this time in the valley, valley of Rephaim. And David inquires of God again. And God this time doesn't say, oh, yes, go fight them, and yes, you'll win. He gives a different answer. He says, don't go up against them directly. Circle around behind them. Um, and then when you hear the sound of marching in the mulberry trees, then you advance. And when you do this, I'm going to go ahead of you, and I'm going to strike their camp. And then you can go into the camp, and I'll have taken care of them. And so David obeyed the Lord, and he ends up defeating them again. And he drives them back um, from Geba as far as Gezer. And um, basically what this is is all the way down the coast. You can see here's Philistia. Philistines are always on this coast, but he drives them way down the coast towards uh, Egypt. Really great victory. These two victories really uh, knocks the Philistines back quite a ways. And the Philistines have two great losses against David here. So uh, the second chapter here, David starts to see his greatness increase. He conquers Jerusalem, beats the Philistines down. Things are going good for David. Um, he's doing what's right for the most part, not counting all the marriages he's going through. And he's serving God and trying to serve the people and fighting good battles and stuff. Things are looking good for David. Takeaways. So David sought the Lord's guide and counsel in his life. And I, I take this from this last part of the passage here. And while David had direct access to God, if you go to God and say, God, should I fix my car? And if I do, will it run for the next five years? I don't think God's going to give you a direct answer like he gave you to David. God doesn't work that way anymore. But God, um, so David had direct access to God for to answer specific questions. We should seek God's counsel through his word. Right? God has given us everything we need to, so that should be do instead of go. Do in the Bible. Second Peter 1 there, it says, uh, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And where do we get knowledge of God? We get it through his word. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so we have everything we need for life to live and everything we need for godliness to do what pleases God in our lives, to grow in him. Uh, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Again, by knowledge of him. How do we get knowledge of him? Again, through his word. And verse 4, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Again, where do we have? Here, that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. We have everything we need to do what God wants us to do. How do we seek God's counsel? Be spending time in the Word. 
Be spending time. I like the admonition this morning. Be not just you know pick up your Bible, read it for a couple minutes, and be done. But study the Word. Know the Word of God. Understand what, who God is, what He wants for you. That's what we need to be doing, and we need to seek the Lord's guidance in that. So that's takeaway number one. Number two, God continues to establish David and to exalt him, and we see that God's plan is working out in God's timing. Uh, again, I wanted to say something about the, the evil, wicked guys going around killing kings, but I'm not sure how to apply that to us necessarily. But again, David's, David's trusting God here. He didn't need these men to carry out God's plan. God was going to carry out his own plan and give David the nation promise. David wasn't worried about these guys having to do it for him. Uh, David continues to trust in God's plan and, he, and even is seeing God's hand at work. You know, he, he sees that God is working to exalt him for the sake of his people. Um, and David sees that God is giving him his place so he can serve the people. God is faithful to keep his promises to us and to accomplish his will. You know, you may be going through some hard times in your life. You may be going through some struggles in your life. And things may not be what you want them to be always. But you can trust God. He's faithful. He's working in your life. Your response to, to, to follow him and do what's right, even through the hard time, and then God's going to work out those things, and he's going to be faithful to you. And that's, that's always true. We, can only, we can't control the circumstances. We can't control what people around us do. People are going to be hurtful to us. People are going to be mean to us at times. We can only control our response, and that's to live for God and do what's right and trust in his faithfulness. David had 20 to 22 years of Saul chasing him around trying to kill him. And he had God's promise that, hey, I'm going to make you king over Israel. And all he had was Saul's spear being thrown at him in the palace, you know, um, hiding in the wilderness from Saul, hiding with the Philistines, all, all these bad things going on in his life. And he just was faithful and thought, God's going to do what God wants to do in his time. And now David's seeing that God's fulfilling his promises 20-some years later. And you know, God hasn't made me a promise to be a king, but God has promised that... And so that's what I need to do is, through every circumstance, every situation, to live my life for him. And that's what God wants you to do. And to trust in him and walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. So so I think those are a couple of good takeaways we can take from this. Any thoughts or Josiah? I'm kind of wondering why uh, David didn't have Joab killed for killing Adler and the idea That's a good question. Yeah, he he uh he killed the one guy at the beginning of the chapter, he killed these two guys, but he let Joab live. That's a good question. I have no answer for that. Um, because Joab basically did kind of the same thing to Abner that guys did to Ishbosheth. Oh. Yeah, the nepotism. Yeah. Um, he did He did curse Joab, so he, did, he didn't leave him go on. I for a king. Be I. I don't know. That's a good question. No, Joab didn't come and try to break to David. Look, I killed your enemy. Thing, yeah. 
David knew that Joab. I, I don't know. It's that's again. I I don't understand everybody's reasoning for everything. Um, David can't. David can't hold everybody trial for every crime of murder in the nation. I think you know it's not necessarily his job. Although Joab's one of his generals, I don't. I, I, that one. Yeah, Abner wasn't anointed by God as a as a king. I think that it could be that that idea of the king, the anointed of. Uh, uh, Ishbosheth wasn't anointed by God either, but he was anointed by the people, so it might be a higher standard, like Nathan said. But that might be the only thing I can think of. But I, I, and then uh, just Joab being family, but um, like you said told Solomon to take care of him after he was dead, so eventually he had he had him be executed. Yeah. There 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 could be other circumstances. I I don't know. It's beyond me. 